Welcome to Succession Stories, insights for next generation entrepreneurs. I'm Lori Barkman. I've spent my career bringing an entrepreneurial approach to mature companies struggling with change. As an outside executive of a third generation, 120 year old company, I was part of a long-term succession plan. Now I work with entrepreneurs, privately held companies and family businesses to develop innovations that create enterprise value and transition plans to achieve their long-term goals. On this podcast, listen in while I talk with entrepreneurs who are driving innovation and culture change. I speak with owners who successfully transitioned their company and others who experienced disappointment along the way. Guests also include experts in multi-generational businesses and entrepreneurship. If you are a next generation entrepreneur looking for inspiration to grow and thrive or an owner who can't figure out the best way to transition their closely held company, this podcast is for you. What if your company could unlock millions from your data? If you're interested in exploring how machine learning and other frontier technologies can be a catalyst for revenue or increase profits in your business, let's connect. Our process helps create an identified solution in just two days. Go to small.big.com, that's smalldotbig.com slash contact to start the conversation. Be sure to subscribe to Succession Stories and tag us in social media to help other business owners discover the show. Neil Sahota helped create the artificial intelligence ecosystem that famously won Jeopardy called Watson. He's an IBM master inventor and artificial intelligence subject matter expert with the United Nations. Neil's written a book called Own the AI Revolution. We talked about ways to learn about AI so we don't fear the changes it can bring. AI is doing a lot of good around the world and there are practical business applications. Is AI out of reach for small to mid-sized companies? Listen in to hear Neil's thoughts on that question and what it could mean for your company. Neil Sahota, a big part of your book and underlying message is about thinking differently. And I'm looking forward to hearing more about that and how business owners can make AI actionable, especially in the lower middle market. So welcome. Hey, thanks for having me on, Lori. I'm really looking forward to a lively conversation. Great. Why don't we start, Neil? Why don't you tell us about you and how you got involved with IBM Watson and ultimately the United Nations? Well, I've always been the kind of guy that likes to solve problems, not just the problems at hand, but the ones that are a little more general. I know I'm dating myself here, but about 15 years ago, business intelligence was all the rage. And working with people like you know Michael Eisner and Warren Buffett, Howard Schultz, they were all telling me, Neil, it's amazing what the computers are telling us. And I'm thinking to myself, the computers aren't actually telling us anything. We've got a lot of sweet tools that help us collect data, store it, slice and dice it, and create nice-looking reports. But could a machine actually think about the data and give us insights? And so I want to create a lot of intellectual capital around that. You know, patents and such, that actually netted the attention of IBM R&D. We had a discussion, and they asked me to join at what then was a secret project codenamed Watson. So that's how I ended up joining the Watson team. We did the Jeopardy challenge, and to everyone's surprise, including our own, Watson won. And then uh, the big question became, what are you guys going to do with this? Because we spent a lot of money and a lot of time working on this. And we said, we'll have to get back to you because we hadn't thought that far out. So I was really one of the people that was advocating 
opening up the technology, really starting on the ecosystem. Let the people that understand the problems, let's partner with them to actually build ventures and solutions. So not just provide the technical stuff, but let's partner together to kind of figure out, you know, the business model or, you know, agency, nonprofit, the, the service model for the people who are trying to help. And so I wound up building up to about 30,000 organizations when I got the attention of the United Nations who asked me to come speak at the, a big signature event. And they warned me, all the world leaders think that AI is Terminator time. You know, the machines are gonna rise up, conquer the world, eradicate humanity. So I gave a little bit more of an uplifting speech. I talked not just about what AI is, but actually how it's being used for public service and how it can be applied towards the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And that seemed to resonate pretty well. So that evening at the reception, the Secretary General approached me. It's like, Neil, you opened our eyes. Never actually thought about using the technology for good. Got a lot of momentum here. I want to figure something out. And so that led me to co-create the AI for Good initiative and wind up becoming the UN's AI advisor. That's so, an incredible story. It's so relatable because I think so many people have the Terminator in mind and that you even kind of mentioned that, right? The, the machines rising up and a fear of what's going to come because of technology, but you spoke about AI for good. And that's a really interesting point that you opened their eyes, that it wasn't a natural vision that they had. You know, we, do, we don't think about these things. I hate to say it. We kind of get locked into a mode of thought and we don't really break out of it. And I think that's what actually makes entrepreneurs special because they think differently about things. They, there's got to be a better way of doing something, not just making it faster or less expensive, you know? Yeah, for sure. Why don't you talk a little bit about what is AI? Let's unpack it a little bit. Who's it for? What are some of the practical artificial intelligence applications? AI is, I think, really for, I'll call it grunt work, at least right now. It, it's a machine that can think for itself based on queries you give it, but it can answer questions we don't know the answers to. And so it's good where it has things where there's lots and lots of data to crunch, which is why like, you see a lot of it in healthcare or as a tutor in education, or as like an onboarding for someone that's going into a new city or joining a university. So, you know, it's the kind of the mundane tasks with not a lot of variability. That's where AI really thrives. Stuff that's kind of a first of a kind or has a lot of complexity to it, not so much because AI learns from us. We have to teach it and we have to be able to teach it all the different scenarios. But Lori, I'll tell you that today there's not a sector or industry that I'm aware of that's not using the technology. I mean, even accounting and law, one of the slowest moving sets of industries has already embraced this fully. Yeah, what's an example? Help us understand, is AI out of reach for small and mid-sized companies? Is it something that's reserved for just really large businesses? One of the comments and people that you interviewed, Michael Gerber, he's the author of E-Myth and he's a small business guru. I read in the book, one of the things he mentioned was that AI is more likely to have a profound impact on large companies versus small and looking for operational efficiencies that, you know, beyond the one-shot model. So I can understand maybe there's companies that are too small that could use it, but I'm really particularly interested in this lower middle market segment. I would imagine big, big, big companies have so much data and so much happening, they can, they can streamline and do the grunt work, as you said. But what about these smaller companies? 
interestingly enough, the smaller companies actually have a better advantage than the big companies. So when you know when I built the Watson ecosystem, 70% of it was actually startup companies. So the technology that's maybe been made available, not just by IBM, but like by Microsoft, Google, you know, all these players is actually made very low cost for the, the small to medium-sized businesses, especially the startups, because they actually come in with the more innovative ideas. My, Michael Gerber is absolutely right when he's talking about the big companies are looking for operational efficiencies, but they're thinking about automation, right? Because we're used to computers doing that. So they're like, we'll make something faster, cheaper, less errors, get some value out of it. But they're not thinking about how we can do something differently. And that's where the real innovation lies. That's where the most value of AI actually lies. And the big companies can't get out of their way, which is why we actually saw a lot of these like entrepreneurs are the ones that are really building out these amazing solutions that, to be honest, are, I think are going to catch fire and cause a lot of disruption. And that's actually why large companies should be worried. And I know that some of them are because they're like, someone's going to figure something out and disrupt our entire business model. And they're too locked into what they know to be able to step out and actually see what that might be. Yeah, I teach a class on corporate innovation, and there's a lot of companies out there, very well established, very large, you know, some publicly traded, some not. They they might have innovation groups and they're looking to create new product services, and they might also be looking at corporate venture capital. And I can see resources going into artificial intelligence to move the needle on predicting outcomes in healthcare and innovating for customer service, providing a better customer experience. And there's some great examples of that maybe we all can kind of relate to, whether it's your airlines and chatbots and, you know, these tasks are being automated, but they, they are benefit to clients or customers because, you know, we're getting it faster, better, cheaper, perhaps. It's helping streamline. But I was curious, too, for these companies that, you know, let's say they're privately held, they're maybe third or fourth generation. So they're definitely mature. They've been around a while but they're not as potentially sophisticated on the innovation side as these other companies I was describing that, that you and I probably have had a glimpse into. So they're kind of in this middle area where innovation's important, but they're not really sure how to go about it. Their entrepreneurial roots are three generations ago. And so while they might be looking for new opportunities, what could they consider in bringing artificial intelligence types of technology into their company? And how might that come together? Well, it's all about solving a problem. You know, too many people get kind of hung up on the technology and then like the technologists help me figure something out. It's all about trying to solve a problem. And so it's problem, opportunity, solution, not, not problem, solution anymore. Uh, way I might be able to highlight this is to actually share a story. So one of the interviews in my books is actually with a company called Legalmation. And they're, they're actually people I know pretty well. Three lawyers career lawyers, part of big firms, they started their own boutique, the law firm, tradition of lawyers in the family. And, you know, we're chatting over lunch and they start asking about AI. And, you know, the truth is, is there's a lot of smart technologists, but they don't know the challenges of practicing law. And so as we're kind of talking through it, it started looking at, you know, some of the big problems. And they're not technologists. They don't really know a lot about technology and realize that one of the kind of the biggest headaches and, you know, pieces of grunt work is if someone files a complaint against you, you have to respond back. You have to respond, file the court papers, generate deposition questions or from the case strategy. 
for a, you know an associate lawyer with about three four years experience this is like 10 to 12 hours worth of work well they actually went up building an associate lawyer so they use a little bit of watson they use a little bit of their own proprietary stuff but they started off saying like okay here's a big problem in law right what would be the opportunity here if ai could do some of this work what does that mean it means i'm freeing up my associate lawyer to do more value add work right they can actually spend more time with the client maybe work more on the case strategy or maybe they could take on a higher caseload and generate more money that way but they saw this they saw okay the solution is if i can take a lot of this work off the plate this would work great and so they built this associate lawyer that does that work in two minutes so they're like, wow. And so they started using it for their firm, right? And they realized this is so powerful. They could turn other law firms into clients. But they ran into a bus saw in that most law firms didn't believe it. They didn't believe this machine could do this job better than a human could. So pivoting, they actually went to companies. They went straight. So they you know, helped take them to helped take them to Walmart, Nationwide Insurance, Target. And they actually signed these big companies on and the general counsel just said like, all our law firms, you have to use this tool. And to show you kind of the power here, Walmart had a case, we call it the chicken case now. Walmart had a case where a guy, ironically was a dentist, bought a whole chicken, bit into the gizzard, chipped his tooth on a stone, sued Walmart. Normally Walmart would have just settled out of court to avoid the headache. I don't know how much for, maybe dollars $80,000. But now that they're using LegalMation's AI, you know, lawyer here, AI did its work. And one of the things that came back for its case strategy was it stated it's a material fact that when chickens eat, they eat stones, they get stored in the gizzard. So by buying a whole chicken and eating the gizzard, that person should have been aware of the risk. That argument won Walmart the case. Wow. Why don't pay nothing? Yeah. And wow. I asked some, I asked some of the biggest law firms managing partners, would your lawyer have figured this out? They're like, not unless that guy was a chicken farmer. So there's, <laughs> so there's the power. <laughs> there is the power, right? Because their lawyers are looking at case law and what's happened in the courts previously. And that probably never came up. That's really interesting. Wow. That's a great example. There's a firm here where I live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, that's called Legal Sifter that I've become familiar with. And they are in a similar space. So I, I have some exposure to that in the sense of how can you streamline a process by looking at documents and, and saying, is this document everything we need? And you mentioned accounting firms earlier, right? There are probably repeatable processes that can be that can be streamlined with quality. You know, it's not just about doing it faster, but it's about getting a good output. So that's a great example. So if there are ways to become more familiar, you know, if someone's listening and they're a small business owner, mid-sized company, they want to learn more, they want to start thinking about this, what are some ways that they can get educated? What's a crawl, walk, run kind of look like? Well, you know, I'll be, I'll be shameless. I mean, my book is obviously a great resource. It's written for non-technical business leaders. And I obviously I encourage people to read it, but there are other, other resources out there as well. And so there's some kind of like intro courses. They're not kind of, they're not meant for like kind of the hardcore techie but to help people understand some of the capabilities of AI as well as what they can and cannot do. And you'll, you'll find some of these things like on Coursera or Treehouse. There's actually a ton of great YouTube videos to actually check out 
Um, you know, obviously there's some TED Talks, including my own, that give kind of that base perspective. And then there's a portal called Cognitive World that kind of um, uh, groups together uh, different types of stories about AI and the uses and different capabilities. So there's a lot of good resources for that small business owner out there to, to learn about what AI can and cannot do. Because obviously there are things it can't do. But I think this is a good starting point because I think anybody that's thinking about AI, the first thing you really understand is those capabilities. And so there's some fantastic resources out there for them to tap into. Yeah, and sort of understanding what is machine learning and in your book, you talked about the difference between artificial general intelligence and artificial narrow intelligence. And I guess that's going to lead into psychology also of how does one learn? How do humans learn? How do machines learn? Is that part of it? It is. Just so everyone knows, you know, that we see in the movies, the, the AI machines that think for themselves, we call that AGI, artificial general intelligence. That does not exist today. So if people are worried, uh, be a little bit more relaxed. We only have A and I, narrow intelligence, meaning the computers can only do what we teach it, and they can only do it when we ask them to do something. But it's it's one of those things where we're trying to figure out how do we even learn about things and what are the factors that influence it and what are the biases that we bring with us to that. There's another example in the book that maybe people can relate to. It's in Detroit. It's an automotive group called the Feldman Automotive Group and how they're stringing together AI for improving customer experience through Facebook, chatbots and direct messaging. I think that starts with advertising and how they're drawing people in through targeting and certainly geography. They're probably targeting the Detroit metro area and then pulling them in through direct messaging, through Facebook Messenger. And I thought that was a really good example because it's very specific and tactical. And who doesn't want to have effective lead generation that leads to appointments and a good customer experience on the other side? Do you have any others that come to mind that you can share? Yeah, there's a ton because digital marketing is probably the vanguard in using AI. And one company is actually called Cyrano AI. And it was started by a, a therapist and a neurolinguist, and they've essentially taught AI how to decode language. And so they've created a suite of marketing tools and so well, basically other communication tools as well, where just from a person's like social media post, you can kind of decipher their language. So you, you know what's what how they learn, like you know, verbal, audio, writing what they value, the things they're gonna care about. So if you're gonna talk to them about a product, for example, these are things to focus. Even what words to pick when you speak to them. Even something as simple as rather than say helps, you should say supports the specific individual because that's gonna connect with them at a much stronger level. So Cyrano actually, I think has done a great job in trying to help people through the pandemic because they built these Zoom tools. So you think about, trying to build up a, like a customer relationship virtually now. So they actually have a Zoom plugin that actually helps decode some of that language and give people kind of that advice, that coaching, on how to communicate and connect with that person. So most people at first could not believe it, but it's been in use, I think, for three months to rave reviews. Oh, I love that idea. I'm going to check that out. You said Cyrano, Cyrano AI? 
Yeah, and that's their website. And Cyrano is like Cyrano de Bergerac. <laughs> yeah, and that was a great book and a great movie. I love that the story where, yeah, he's on the side trying to help the potential suitor for this young woman. And he's feeding him things, you know, to say to her. And so making that connection, that's a, that's a really good example. I think we could probably, you know, picture that. The other thing that I took away from your book was something around the job market, you know, and you sort of alluded to that with this law firm saying, hey, we can create an AI associate, right? We don't have to have a physical associate to do these tasks and help us with research. So that's taken away that job in theory. And what impact do you think AI will have on the job market in five, 10 years? It's an interesting question and one that gets debated a lot with us at the UN. The goal with AI is not to you know, put people out of work. It's to free up their time to do more complex value-add work. So you think about the associate lawyer, they're not going to be doing some of this grunt work anymore. They're probably going to have to do more business development, spend more time with the client. So they might be doing work that they normally be doing with eight years experience at, you know, in their second year. By the same token, though, you may not need as many associate lawyers unless you can improve your caseload. So you may see a downsize in the number. However, we also know that there's going to be a bunch of jobs created. You know, all those, those great entrepreneurs that are incubating today are going to create industries that we can't even fathom. They're probably going to create tons of jobs we can't conceive of today. I mean, you, you, you go back 10 years no one thought of like, you know, Uber or Lyft drivers. No one thought about, you know, um, blockchain programmers. Even social media marketing was, you know, still in its infancy. You've seen the, the explosion of influencers and other types of roles now. I think the, the challenge we have is we can't quite conceive of what those jobs are because they're not here yet. There's an opportunity, though, and that we can actually be the ones trying to create what those jobs will be. So if you're worried about what that associate lawyer is going to do, you have the opportunity to kind of frame that right now and build the tools to actually enable that in the future. Yeah, definitely. I think in the book, even you provided a list of jobs that are likely to be impacted negatively by technologies like artificial intelligence. But then you also had a list of jobs that would be new. As you said, there are going to be jobs we can't even think about today, but there are certainly ways that, that there'll be new markets and, and new roles to have. So for us now, as we think ahead, if we're a small business owner or a you know, mid-sized market and executives, what are some action items that they should begin to take today so that they can benefit from your ideas and advice? Well, first and foremost, learn some of the basic capabilities about AI and think about it as an opportunity. You know, get in the right frame of mind here so that you can take advantage of it to try and solve problems. AI is not going to solve all your problems, and there's some things you don't need to use AI for, but there's probably something out there that no one else has thought of yet that you could tap into and kind of lead the charge. The second is AI is more than technology. So I know a lot of people worry like, well, I'm not a programmer. I don't know these things. Yeah, we, we need STEM skills. But the truth is we need philosophy and art skills even more because we're talking about machines making recommendations. Well, that means that we have to think about the experience that are things. How do we consume those, those insights? How do we put them into use? It's a lot of thought scenario, right? A lot of kind of planning and, you know, things that I hate to say we don't teach well in schools right now, the critical thinking or nonlinear thinking. So you got to 
develop some of that that mindset and those that those thinking skills as well as don't forget about the art at the end of the day a lot of what we do has to motivate people into some sort of action whether they're buying our product or our service or they're helping to save the environment whatever it might be so i think there's going to be more emphasis on that motivation art's a great way to do it so think about the user experience what what, what is, do you want to actually create for the person and third I, I know a lot of people are, are concerned and there's fears and some of it rightfully so, but do not let that force you into inaction, right? We, we all know, especially as small business owners, there's an element of risk we have to embrace and risk itself is not a bad thing, right? Risks are just uncertainties. They could be positive risks or opportunities or negative risks, which are threats. I know we're good at thinking about the threats. Think about some of the opportunities. And if you find one that's good, there's plenty of people out there that can help you make that opportunity a reality into a, you know, a solution into a product. So for all the small business owners, I think you have a world of opportunity out there and I hope you'll embrace it and look for one that you can really tap into and accelerate your business. I think that's really good advice. And my next question is about, you mentioned AI for good. And I thought if you could share a little bit about that, what is AI for good and, and some of the UN initiatives that you mentioned earlier? AI for good is using AI and some other emerging technology towards the sustainable development goals. So that's things like uh, zero hunger, good health, access to education. I, I won't bore everyone at every, all 17, but the UN has you know, agreed upon and set some lofty goals that we're trying to accomplish by 2030. And, you know, there's, there's obviously some resource gaps in terms of funding other things, but we found that like AI is a huge bridge to overcome some of those gaps. And so uh, we've been running projects for about four years now. We've completed, I think, a little over 30 projects and have 120 active projects today. But we've been able to do things like help farmers uh, that have limited topsoil resources, limited access to water you know, using a self-contained tablet. So you don't even need a whole lot of, you know, high-speed Wi-Fi or, or fancy computing equipment. But they will help analyze the topsoil information, look at climate information, so not just like the weather, but humidity stuff, help pr predict in, you know, infestation and make recommendations just like plant these, these types of seeds two millimeters to the right. And we've seen that improve crop yields by 30, 40% while using 20% less water, using 10% less topsoil. So we now have the ability to actually grow more food with less resources. That helps towards zero hunger. So there's there's lots of opportunities, right? It's, it's You said something very powerful in the beginning, Laurie, about thinking differently. You know, that's the theme of, of my book. And I know everyone says, uh, you know, this is how you unlock things, think differently. Well, we got to learn how to think differently to do, to do some of these things because we're seeing things like around ocean health that it's a jigsaw puzzle we never realized before. But now that we have AI that can kind of mesh these things and saw the whole, whole puzzle put together, we're tapping into some powerful things that are going to help humanity. That is really powerful. We all probably aspire to have businesses that make an impact. And here you are talking about 120 plus projects around the world that are making an impact on everyday lives. So that's really important. Thank you for all that work that you're doing with the UN and the teams around the world. That's amazing. 
Uh, no, no, thanks. Necessary. I, I'm a big believer in people and planet. I'm just trying to do my part uh, to leave the world at least as good as I found it. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the other messages in the book is whether or not we like it, change is going to happen. And that is something that I talk about a lot on this show, succession stories and transition and transitions and business and personal life. So I thought it was a really great conversation today. I'm so glad that you were able to join me, Neil. And one of the things I always ask my guests, if you have a favorite quote, I'm sure you do, <laughs> about yeah. entrepreneurship or leadership or anything that you'd like to share. Sure. I'll actually use a quote from William Shakespeare, which is, expectations are often the biggest obstacle. Um, I, I just found that to be true in, in life. You know, I, I talk a lot about kind of being the right mindset and having an open mind. And with AI, this is one of the biggest things because there's things like we feel like machines can't do, or at least can't do better than the people. And there are a couple of things they do better than people that people are surprised by, like reading the emotional state of another human being. But the other thing, the flip side to that is people also expect the machines to be perfect. They never will be. And we let that be a hindrance for, for some of these ideas because it's like if the machine can't do it perfectly, it's not worth doing. Well, human doctors, on average, one out of seven chance of misdiagnosing you, uh, AI doctor, one out of 100,000, right? And people still feel squeamish about that, but it's like, it's still better odds. I'm not saying re replace human doctors, don't get me wrong, but I think our expectations, we need to do a little bit of job managing them because it's actually become a blocker to great ideas. So that's why I really love William Shakespeare's quote. You know, sometimes it's our expectations that get in the way of things. Thank you for sharing that. And last thing for you, if people want to reach out to you, Neil, and find you online, what's the best way to do that? A couple of different ways. Uh, you can always come to my website, which is just my name, neilsahoda.com. I'm always posting uh, a lot of videos, articles, other resources for people that want to learn about AI. Uh, you can also come to my LinkedIn page and, you know, follow me. I'm posting twice a day out there, sharing stuff. Of course, I'm also on Twitter, Instagram. And again, my, my tag is just my name. It's at Neil underscore Sahota. And of course, you can find my book on any major book retailer like Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Awesome. Neil, thank you so much for being with me today on Succession Stories. It was really great to speak with you. Hey, thanks for having me on, Lori. I had a blast. Innovation, transition, growth, easy to say, but hard to do. If you're an entrepreneur facing these challenges, I get it. I work with businesses from small to big to achieve your vision. Visit smalldotbig.com to learn more. I'd love to connect with you. Subscribe to Succession Stories. And if you enjoy the show, please share a rating and review. Thanks for listening. 